We just appreciate the Holy Spirit and his presence in our midst this morning. Just never want to take that for granted. <laughs> oh, we are bringing our journey. If you've uh, been with us for the last several months, you know we've been with the children of Israel in the promised land. All of our messages are on our website, seegod.org, our website, uh, seegod.org. And if you've missed any of the journey, you can go back and catch it on, on there. And we're going to continue today. We just want to take a moment, too, to welcome our visitors. I see a couple of new faces. Good to have you guys here today with Miss Pam. I uh, appreciate you coming and worshiping uh, with us today. And it's good to see all the rest of you. It's good to see you back, Maria. Um, it's good to see you all today, and I thank you for watching us by live stream. I know you out there. We love you and appreciate you so much. So we are bringing the journey of the Israelites to a close. We've got just a few areas of scripture that we're going to study to close out the journey that we'll do over the next few weeks. But before they take possession of that promise, as I've been studying through the rest, kind of the rest of the story, there were four things that I discovered that were really important and needed to happen. Uh, first of all, there needed to be some conclusions. There needed to be a new commissioning, a new consecration, and then the crossing. So conclusions, commissioning, consecration, and the crossing. And so today we're going to look at conclusions. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you and our hearts are already so full and we can't thank you enough for how your presence has already visited us in this place today. We thank you for the work that you're doing in the hearts and the lives of the people here in Cornerstone and all over our community. And God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for how it leads us, how it challenges us, how it changes us. And Father, today I pray that you'd open up our heart to areas of our life that maybe we need to bring to a conclusion today so that we can go forward into our promised land. Just give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying through the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I am so ready to move forward into my promised land. Any, anybody else out there? Anybody with me? You're so tired. It's like you can just kind of look over and see it like the Israelites were able to do when they sent out those spies, you could look over and see it, but you just can't get there yet. You know that God's spoken to you. You've been faithful in your journey. You've prayed. You've confessed the promise. You've dreamed the promise, but you just haven't been able to get there yet. It's just out of reach. Well, as I said, I discovered looking through the scripture with the children of Israel that there were some last steps that needed to be taken. I believe right now that we, the church, we are in the season of last steps. I don't mean last like everything's supposed to wind up because I, I that's, anyway, I'm not going to go there. But anyway, I don't, that's not what I'm saying. I mean last steps before we enter our promised land. Okay, there are some conclusions that we need to bring to some things. I found in my life as a Christ follower that many times conclusions or concluding circumstances must come before you walk into a new season. There must be an ending 
a last chapter, a turning of the page, so to speak. So today we're going to explore that thought and what that looked like for the children of Israel. Now, last week we saw the children of Israel's rebellion in full scope. God had brought them right to the edge of that promised land, and they had refused to enter. Their hearts just refused to believe that God was able to deliver them and take them on over into their promise. The obstacles, the challenges that the report of the spies brought back to them overwhelmed them. Instead of being overwhelmed by the great power of their God, they were overwhelmed with just the thought of the challenges that laid ahead. Now think of that for just a moment, what I just said. They were not overwhelmed with the challenges because they had not taken any steps into the land. They had not encountered any battles or any enemies. They were overwhelmed with the thought of just doing that. They were overwhelmed with the thought that there were going to be challenges. And they were overwhelmed with the way they perceived themselves. Remember, we talked about it. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. So because they saw themselves as grasshoppers and they saw all these challenges, they brought defeat to themselves before they ever had an encounter. We can be defeated, and this is important to remember and to know and to realize, we can be defeated in our own thoughts before we ever step foot on the battlefield of any challenge. If we have already allowed our thoughts to defeat us, then how can we win against the actual enemy? The Israelites saw themselves as defeated, so they were defeated. And in their defeat, they rebelled against God and they refused to go over into the promised land. Now, in response to that rebellion, God makes judgments upon that generation. In Numbers 14, 25, there's some very sad instructions that are given to God, to Moses. And what he said to Moses was, turn around and set out for the wilderness by the Red Sea. In other words, what he said to Moses was, turn around and go back where you started. Ugh. (laughs) How heartbreaking. How disappointing. If you were told to turn around and go back to the very beginning of your journey. Let's read what he said in Numbers 14, verse 29 through 33. This is God's words. Your bodies, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. Not one of them shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb And Joshua, but your little ones who you said would become a prey, I will bring them in and they shall know the land that you rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and suffer for your faithlessness. Now, I could stay right there and preach to parents all day, but we're going to just move on. It's a very sobering verse. Verse 37 adds, the men who brought up a bad report of the land, the 10 that we talked about last week, they died by plague 
before the Lord. And of those men who went to spy out the land, only Caleb and Joshua remained alive. And now in our story, the narrative of the children of Israel is going to go silent for 38 years. The larger part of their journey in the desert, it's left without any record in the Old Testament. And we can only imagine that this would be deliberate on Moses' account. Because we can only imagine the long, drawn-out conclusion to that generation. With tens of thousands and thousands of people dying in the wilderness over the span of the next 38 years. But a conclusion would come, a page would turn, and a new season would come, and there would be a new generation. And that new generation would step forward to take possession of the unclaimed inheritance of their fathers. But before that could happen, first there would be some dying of some dreams. Let's look at Deuteronomy 32, verse 48 through 50. That very day the Lord spoke to Moses, Go up this mountain of the Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the people of Israel for a possession, and die on the mountain which you go up. Wait, what? Moses? Go up the mountain and die? In order to understand what's happening here, we have to go back to Numbers chapter 20. And Numbers chapter 20 is the chapter I call the chapter of conclusions. This chapter takes place right at the beginning. We've come through all those 38 years of wandering, and now we're right at the beginning of the 40th year after the exodus from Egypt. Numbers 20, verse 1. Let's look at it. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. So here's the beginning of the end. The first conclusion, Moses' sister Miriam passed away in this desert place. Now, Miriam was that big sister protector. You remember, she's the one that saved Moses in the beginning through the cleverness of her mother, his protector. She was also a prophetess, and she was a musician of joy. And she dies now, and we have this one-line mention of her death here in this chapter. Certainly, Her death affected Moses because siblings all have a special place in our heart. I'm talking about biological siblings and family of God siblings. Godly relationships, especially people like Miriam that we read about here, a prophetess, a singer, a dancer before the Lord. She displayed a nurturing spirit. She was a prophetic voice in the assembly. She was very encouraging to Moses and Aaron, and now she is gone. As a Christ follower, it's been my experience that God brings relationships into your life for seasons. It's also been my experience that it can be extremely sorrowful when the season ends, but conclusions are necessary. You know, when we moved here many years ago to Brenham from Humble, we left our family and we left lifelong friends to move here. And I left a Miriam. 
I left a prophet of God. I left a woman in the ministry, a woman minister who was blazing a trail for other ministers. I had known her and loved her since birth. She was always such an encouragement to me. She sowed into my life. She invested so much, taught me during my teenage years when I was the most... uh, needing the most influence. She was always there. And when we moved here, I left that relationship. And although I saw her a few times over the years, her everyday influence in my life was gone. It was before the days of cell phones and FaceTime. And, you know, we couldn't do that back in those days. It was a long-distance call. I don't know if some of you even know what that means. But it was a long-distance call to call from here to Humble. So our move brought a conclusion to her season in my life. And after our move here, we were low in spirit for a while, but we knew we were following God's journey for our life. And so we trusted God and we believed in his faithfulness to us, knowing that he was going to work all things out for his good plan in our life. And he was faithful and he brought new people here in Brenham into our lives who nurtured us and they mentored us and they helped us grow even deeper in our relationship with God. And you know what? Now, after 30 plus years here, many of those people, many of those friends have moved into other seasons and those relationships have come to a conclusion. So we've learned that you never take relationships for granted. You get to ride along with other people for a season. But people come in and out of your lives. And you will go in and out of other people's lives on this journey. But it's inevitable that conclusions will come. And if the journey to your promised land, let me tell you this today because this is important. If the journey to your promised land is removing some relationships from your circle, don't fret about that. Okay? Just bless that relationship and move forward. Don't hold on to anything or anyone that God is bringing to a purposeful conclusion in your life. Don't be crazy now and take liberty with what I'm saying. Don't go out of here with a plan to divorce your husband or, or quit school or, you know, all these other things. Oh, Miss Pat says, bring it to occlusion. Don't bring it into my new season. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about God conclusions. And sometimes relationships will be concluded in your life for all kinds of reasons. And when that happens, like it did here with Miriam, you must go forward. You just bless the relationship and you go forward. Now, abruptly, the scripture continues. Miriam's buried and now there's no water. Just like that, that's what the scripture said. Numbers 20, verse 2 through 5. Now there was no water for the congregation. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought this assembly? Do these words sound familiar at all to any of you? Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It's no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. 
Unfortunately, because look at what we're looking here. This is the second generation. The first generation has already all died off in the wilderness. So unfortunately, it seems like the second generation of Israelites have learned nothing from the grumbling episodes and the unbelieving episodes of their parents. They've taken up the same unbelieving attitude, and the congregation now has come full circle. We started this journey at a place with no water, and it's approximately 40 years later now, deja vu. Here they are again, no water, and they're grumbling. The second generation is grumbling. Note to parents. This really isn't a parenting sermon, I promise, but there are just some things in here you need to take note of. Be careful of how you live your life before your children. Bad habits, foolish choices, as well as iniquity in the bloodline will be passed on to the generations after you. They are watching. And here's Moses. And we're looking at another water problem. And this water episode is going to bring about another conclusion. Unfortunately, it's going to be the conclusion of Moses' assignment to lead the people into the promised land. Moses was all, after all, only human. We've talked a lot about him in these last few months and, and about what a great deliverer and a great person, what a great man of God. Though his story is rich in symbolism, prophetically it pointed to our deliverer, Jesus Christ. Moses was not Jesus, and Moses was not perfect. And at this point, Moses is nearing 120 years old. 120 years old. And the last 38 years of his life, he's been all over the desert with this nomadic congregation who repeatedly have rebelled and complained, have been grumbling and ungrateful. And now this second generation, his hopes for this second generation now have been dashed because now they sound exactly like their parents. Surely, he has taken a blow with their words of complaining. But Moses and Aaron, they did what Moses and Aaron do. And they go to the tent of meeting and they appeal to God for help on behalf of the people. And God, in his great faithfulness, appears to them and he gives Moses some instructions. He doesn't display any wrath. He doesn't inflict any judgment upon the people. Numbers 20, verse 7 and 8 and the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff, assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. And so you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. Skipping on down, verse 10, this is what happened. So then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, as God said. And Moses said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water out of this rock for you? And Moses lifted up his hand, struck the rock with the staff twice, and water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock. Wowzer, Moses. It's not exactly the way God said to do it, was it? 
And with these words and with this action of Moses and Aaron, Aaron was right there too, the position of leading that congregation of Israel into the promised land comes to a close for both of them. Let's look closer at Moses' mistake so we can fully understand the gravity of this because I've heard over the years, oh, that was a harsh punishment. Oh, that was a harsh punishment. Obviously, we just read it. Moses disobeyed the direct instruction of the Lord. Now, was Moses angry because God took such a merciful and long-suffering position toward the people instead of a judgment? Or a correction? Maybe so. Had Moses just reached his breaking point? 120 years is a long time. Maybe so. After all, he had struggled with two generations of stubborn whiners. Whatever the emotions, what was produced was disobedience. Moses was instructed to speak to the rock, yet he hit the rock twice. And this was very wrong because, as we've already read this scripture in our earlier study, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, Paul explained that that rock, this water-giving rock, was a type or a symbol of Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus told the woman at the well in John 4 that he would give everlasting water? He would give water that would yield everlasting life to everyone who drank of it? And so this rock, which symbolized Jesus, had already been struck once. At the beginning of our story, all the way back in Exodus chapter 17, Moses was directed to strike the rock. That was 40 years before. So this rock had already been struck once, this rock symbolizing Jesus Christ. And Hebrews 7.27 will bring us some further clarification because in that verse, the writer of Hebrews states that Jesus would be crucified once, once for all, not twice, not three times. And when Moses struck that rock, now in all, three times, he destroyed that biblical typology and effect, in effect, crucified Christ again. And then with his words, must we bring water out of this rock for you? Moses appears to be saying that he has a part in or should be given credit on some level for this miracle. So Moses' disobedience to the very clear instructions, his misrepresentation of Christ's death by striking the rock again, and then his pride usurping the glory of God and taking some credit for the miracle. All of these actions, they were motivated by his anger and his impatience. His uncontrolled emotions. Now I know none, nobody in here has that issue. But his uncontrolled emotions is what fueled the whole incident. And then to top it off, all of these actions, everything that he did were done in front of the whole congregation. He did all of this in public for everyone 
to see. It's bad enough when we disobey in our private life. But when you disgrace yourself and God in front of many witnesses, then that door is open to shame. And shame is a heavy hitter. A heavy hitter enemy which can bring much sorrow. So Moses, in front of the whole congregation, and here are the Father's words to Moses. Numbers 20, verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I've given them. Deuteronomy 32 states it as well in verse 51. In that scripture, God says, because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people, meaning right out in front of everyone, and because you did not treat me as holy, you will not enter the land. Now listen to me. When we willingly disobey the word of the Lord, whether it's something that's been given to us by His Holy Spirit or written in His Word, when we willfully disobey the Word of the Lord, in truth, what we are saying by our actions is that we do not fear God. That's what it boils down to. I know God said this, but I want to do this, and I am not afraid of Him. We do not believe him to be holy or worthy of our obedience. Our action of disobedience is rebellion. It speaks that we believe God has no power over our life, and it doesn't matter what he says. We do not fear him. And then when our disobedience and our disregard of God is done in public, out where someone else sees it, social media, school playground, I don't care. Then not only are we saying it ourselves, but we are letting others know that we do not fear him and that it doesn't matter what he, what he says. We don't believe God is worthy of our worship, of our reverence, we don't believe he is holy. That's the gravity of what Moses did. And that's what we do every time we disobey. We do not fear him. So Moses was a great man. He was a great leader. It was to Moses that God had entrusted the law, the old covenant. And it was to Moses that God spoke to openly and repeatedly. It's reported in scripture, I believe, over 120 times. God spoke to Moses. God spoke to Moses. But God's righteousness demands justice. Moses mercifully received justice and not death. Remember those others that rebelled? They all died in the wilderness. But Moses is receiving justice. And we see as Moses' life begins to come to a conclusion, 
His failure at the rock, and this is important for us to know, that his failure at the rock did not sever his relationship with God. It did not sever his relationship with God. God abounds in love and mercy, and he forgives our sins. He knows we're human. He knows we're going to make mistakes. He knows that we are not perfect. And when we sin, when we disobey, we just need to be quick about repenting. God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And his mercy will flow to us. To the end of his life, Moses still had intimacy with God, and he remained a prophet to God's people. But here's a thought, and it's just mine, my own, my own musing. I think even if Moses had not disobeyed God, I personally believe that his leadership would have concluded at the entrance to the promised land. And the reason why I say that is because a new season of possessing the land was coming. And that called for a change. It called for a conclusion. And sometimes the hardest conclusions to come into our life many times are the conclusions of leadership. We entrust such confidence, such honor, and such respect in our leaders. We depend on their wisdom and their prayers. And when God turns that page and he concludes a leadership season over our life, it's difficult. But new seasons many times call for new leadership. And even though Deuteronomy 34 records that Moses' eyes were undimmed, his body was still energetic, I believe his spiritual destiny had been fulfilled. And after 120 years, I believe he had fulfilled all the works that God had planned and intended for his life. And it was now a new era. It was a new season. And the door to the season of possession and conquest was opening. A new season. Possession and conquest. The time of judgment was over. And it was time for that second generation to claim their inheritance and possess that promised land. And Moses, he had been faithful in all of his assignments to lead the people to that promised land. And conclusion now of his leadership has come. And now it's time to say goodbye to Moses and hello to Joshua. It is time to turn the page. Numbers 20 records one more conclusion that I want to share with you. Numbers 20, verse 22. And they journeyed from Kadesh and the people of Israel. The whole congregation came to Mount Hor. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor on the border of the land of Edom, Let Aaron be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land that I have given to the people of Israel, because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. So now we see Moses is losing another sibling. It's his faithful companion, his brother Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest designated by God to lead the people in worship. Aaron is 123 years old. And in obedience to God's word, Moses, Aaron, and Aaron's son, representing that next generation, who was to succeed him in the priesthood, they traveled up the mountain together. And there up the mountain, the garments of the priesthood, they were removed from Aaron, and they were placed upon his son, Eleazar. And with the removal of the garments, the anointing of the priesthood left Aaron, and he breathed his last. 
Without the anointing of the Spirit, there is no breath of life. And once those garments that represented that anointing came off of Aaron, the Spirit left him. Aaron's life concluded and the priesthood was passed to the next generation just as the leadership would soon be passed to the next generation with Moses' death. So in closing, let's go back and read again Deuteronomy 32. It'll make more sense to you now. And I'm going to close this out. 32, 48 through 50, and let's summarize. That very day the Lord spoke to Moses, Go up this mountain of the Abraham, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, Moab opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan. God did give him the privilege. He honored him to allow him to go up high on the mountain and look over and viewed all of the land, which I'm giving to the people of Israel for a possession, and die on the mountain which you go up. Die on the mountain which you go up. It almost sounds like an oxymoron. Die but go up. Die, but go up. Now, I know that Moses died physically on that mountain that day. But when I first read that scripture, I felt something leap in my spirit. I felt a spirit witness to consider the story behind the story, the spiritual symbolism. You know, the life of a Christ follower truly is defined by those words, die, but go up. Die, but go up. Jesus told us to take up our cross and follow him. And the cross is surely an instrument of death. And by dying to ourself, we accept Christ. We die to go up. And after that initial death of ours to ourself and we accept Jesus Christ, and we repent of our sins, and he is now our Lord, and we become a true Christ follower not just a fan, but a follower, then we must die on many mountains between here and eternity. Many mountains we are called to die upon. We must die on the mountain of having it my way. We must die on the mountain of our rights. We must die on the mountain of fear many times. We must die on the mountain of pride we must die on the mountain of self-promotion. These are just a few. And we haven't said a whole lot about Joshua and Caleb because we're going to talk a lot about them in the day to come. Their time is coming. But just think for a moment about the mountains they had to die on for 38 years. Joshua and Caleb had done nothing wrong. Their spirit was exemplary. Their attitude was exemplary. Their courage was incredible that day. And yet, because of the choice of others, they had to wait for 38 years to claim what God had promised them. Think your, affection, your um, actions don't affect others? Think again. Even in the body of Christ. Joshua and Caleb had to die on a lot of mountains 
The first mountain they had to die on was timing. They had to die on the mountain of timing. They were ready right that day to go right in and possess their land. And now they have to wait for God's timing 38 years later. What about the mountain of bitterness? I could already be there. I could already be planting. I could already be reaping. I could already have my house built. But because of you, bitterness goes right into blame. Because of you, it's all your fault. It's your fault. If you hadn't have done that, we wouldn't be this. I wouldn't be this. I wouldn't have missed out on that. Just think of the mountains that Caleb and Joshua had to die on. You know, I personally experienced a time, a season in my life in church history where I had to accept a decision of the majority. The majority made a decision to step back. And Bob and I thought it was the season to step up. And I can tell you, it can open a door to disillusionment and disappointment. And you have to guard your heart in that. And that's what Caleb and Joshua had to do. They had to guard their heart. And they had to die on those mountains of blame and bitterness. And they just had to wait. But I believe in that time of waiting that God was faithful to them. I believe that his presence was near. I believe that he, as much as he could in that way, he fulfilled everything. We've all been in a transition of waiting before. And even in our transitions of waiting, God is good. God is faithful even in our waiting. And we have everything that we need. And I believe that's the way it was for Caleb and Joshua. I believe that God was faithful to them. And he gave them everything that they needed. He met their every need. But they still had to wait. You know, I don't know what conclusions you're faced with today. I had to come to a conclusion even this week. That's just the way God does it with me. I don't know. He just, he, he makes me walk through it <laughs> before I can preach it. And just this week, I had to walk through a conclusion and shut a door on something. And so I don't know what conclusions you're facing today. I don't know if it's a conclusion of a relationship. I don't know if it's a conclusion of a thought process or what you need to conclude. But that's the first of the last steps to claiming your promised land. Turn the page. Shut the door. Don't go back there and walk forward. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
I just want to speak for just a moment. If you'll just bow your heads. We always like to give an opportunity for people to accept Christ. We know there are people watching us today that need to accept Jesus. In our congregation, we have people that need to accept Jesus. The most important mountain was the mountain of Calvary. And Jesus went up that mountain and he did die there. It was the most important conclusion on that day. He said, it is finished. It was concluded. The plan of salvation. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son for you. And redemption was made possible for you that day. Is there anyone in the building this morning and you need that conclusion in your life. You need to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Anyone at all, if you just slip your hand up, we want to pray for you this morning before we go any further. Go any further. Thank you. You're watching us at home. You can do that right where you are. You can ask Jesus to come in right in that home, right where you are. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I know that I need you. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I want to live for you. I want to walk forward into the, all of the promises of your word that you've given me. I want to possess the land. It's just that easy. If you prayed that prayer with us today, please let our office know. I want to continue to pray with you and believe for you. Believe with you for the things that you're looking for in your promised land. I know we had a great season of prayer this morning already. I know that God has moved in hearts today. But if you really feel something in your heart today that you know exactly what I was talking about, you know exactly what you need to bring to conclusion in your life, I want you to come up front. We've got a prayer team that's going to pray with you this morning and bring you to this place help you get the courage. Sometimes it takes a lot of courage. And as I said, it's not always painless to bring something to a close in your life. But God is so good. And He helps you with exactly what what you need. Would you put that Run to the Father song on, Zach, please? And if that's you, would you come forward? We just want to pray with you this morning. If you have prayer, if you have a prayer need this morning for anything, we've got people in place here. They want to pray for you. Thank you, you that are coming. If our prayer teams can go ahead and just begin to minister. I just ask that if you remain in the sanctuary, I'm going to just pray over you this morning. I release those who feel they need to go. But I'm going to ask you to do so quietly in reverence to what's happening in the altars this morning. Father, we thank you for this wonderful day and the blessing of the Lord, the presence of God that's been in our midst. Now, I just bless this people with peace today. I bless those that are watching my live stream today with peace in their home. May the peace of Jesus fill your heart in everything that you do and every word that you go this week. May you be covered by his presence. May he lead you and guide you and bless you as you walk forward. In Christ's name, amen. I bless you.